0: Agencies dealing with Freedom of Information Act requests face an ongoing challenge and a basic one, letting requesters know when they'll get their information. So-called estimated dates of completion are required, but often not provided. During its recent annual meeting, the Office of Government Information Services, part of the Justice Department, brought together FOIA managers who are good at this to share their agency's solutions. Federal News Network's intern, Abigail Russ, tuned into the discussion. She joins me now in studio. And Abigail, it's good to have you for the first time.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Let's begin with the Office of Government Information Services, again, part of Justice. What role did they have in leading the discussion? What do they do here?
1: Yeah, so OGIS actually oversees the FOIA Advisory Committee, and Congress has charged the agency with reviewing the FOIA policies and agencies' compliance when fulfilling requests. So the committee just finished their two-year term and submitted some recommendations to Congress to improve the FOIA process, and all of that was, um, happened to coincide with OGIS's annual meeting, which is where this discussion was held.
0: And what were some of the big takeaway recommendations from that discussion?
1: One of the main themes was the importance of constant communication between public information officers and records requesters. And Tom, I've even filed FOIA requests, and it's really easy to feel forgotten about when you don't hear about your request or you don't even know. If you're going to get or apply. And, and let me
0: just ask you this when you send in that request, do you at least get acknowledgement that it has come to the agency?
1: It really depends on the agency. Agencies are supposed to reply within 20 days that you know that they've received it and hopefully provide this estimated date of completion. But oftentimes you have to send push emails to make sure that they're being heard from.
0: So it's not like Amazon where you get an email in 13 milliseconds. We have your order.
1: No, not in my experience. All right. So at FEMA, Gregory Bridges, who's the chief of the disclosure branch, says that proactive communication really begins with providing requesters that estimated date of completion. One of
2: the things we do at our agency is explain to requesters why searching for all of the emails with the word hurricane during hurricane season might produce more records than you're actually looking for. You know, so having an estimate on the volume and the work it'll take, as much of that information that you can have as possible before you discuss this with the requester will be very helpful. You don't have to have all of it. But you just have to be able to lay out your timeline. There's nothing wrong with telling a requester, we think it's going to be ready by this date. If we don't think we can meet that date, we'll definitely reach out. But you have to reach out. If you're saying the 25th, by the 20th or the 24th, you should have an idea of if you can meet the 25th. And if you know you can't, let the requester know before the 25th. That shows proactivity. That shows your request is on the forefront. And that is really the main gripe of a lot of requesters. They don't want to be forgot about. Even if they don't like the date being extended, at least they know that you're actively working on it. And even if you have to extend it then, that could be another opportunity to narrow the scope.
0: So even if it will be months, then at least tell people it's going to be months. And that was Gregory Bridges, FEMA's chief of the disclosure branch of records management. And Abigail, how can setting an estimated date of completion help the person in the agency who's fulfilling that request?
1: So agencies have found it very useful to set those estimated dates of completion to chart their work and to help themselves set a future timeline. So, for example, setting the EDC will help officers break down what will increase the time when processing these requests and using the EDCs to gauge their output. Here's more from Gregory Bridges.
2: If you put all of your requests on an EDC, that could also help you factor in how long it'll take you to work on a particular request because you're considering your current workload.
1: Another part of that line of communication is the conversation between the public information officers and agency leaders who hold the records.
2: I think when it comes to senior leadership, it really is just understanding what that particular manager or leader cares about when it comes to the FOIA process. Do they care that they're in compliance? Some do, some don't. Oftentimes, they care about not getting in trouble. They care about not having to spend money. They care about not having to get sued because often we use the senior managers as enforcers or trying to get them to compel their staff to comply.
0: And again, that's Gregory Bridges, the FEMA FOIA officer. We're speaking with Federal News Network's intern, Abigail Russ. And what about some of the other agencies you heard from during this seminar?
1: Yeah. At USPS, the public information officer Nancy Shivana's battle said that her agency has started a staff training program to strengthen communication and connect public information officers with leaders in the agency who hold the records.
0: All right. So who is it that specifically then sets the estimated date of completion because the FOIA officer has to rely on the record owner to give it up?
1: Yeah, so it actually is that public information officer to set those EDCs, but at the FBI's FOIA department, they actually have created an automated system to help them manage those requests. Here's Michael Siddell, the Chief FOIA Officer at the FBI.
3: Our tracks, by the way, are based on page size. For instance, our small track is 1 to 50 pages. medium track is 51 to 950 pages. So we look within each of those tracks and we compute the average number of days it takes to complete a request. And we get that information out of our automated system. It's called the FOIA Document Processing System. So we'll look at those dates within those queues of the dates the requests were open. We'll do the math and compare them to the dates they were closed, and we'll come up with that Average number of days it takes to complete a request.
0: And again, that's Michael Seidel, the chief FOIA officer at the FBI. Abigail, have agencies found any success in scaling down the size of requests when people maybe make? huge requests and kind of dip that big net in the pond when all they want really is a minnow.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the FBI actually has what they call negotiations teams. And during the meeting, they were called the best-kept secret of the FBI. And these are public information officers who are actually available to talk with requesters to figure out exactly what they want, especially when they accidentally file requests that are 300, 500, 1,000 pages long. And so negotiation teams ask requesters if they're looking for a specific event, an interview, or a record on a specific date to stop processing those unwanted pages. And that will really speed up the whole FOIA requesting process. Also, providing an EDC can help requesters understand how long their request could take and during negotiations can, again, narrow down the scope of the request. In
0: other words, you can have 500 pages next year or you can have 57 pages that really are relevant next month.
1: Exactly. And those negotiations teams have already helped the FBI to eliminate more than 66 million unwanted pages that were originally requested. And while those negotiations are very important, it's also important to remember that if you are having that meeting, at the end the public does have the legal right to those records. And so if they decide they want every page, then it's going to be a longer processing time, but they have the right to them.
0: And what are some of the responses agencies have seen since they've been implementing these recommendations? Have they Worked out in real life, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, FEMA started making these changes even before the pandemic. And, you know, during the pandemic, we saw backlogs rise. And they started making these changes in 2018. And since then, the agency has only been sued twice over FOIA records. The agency also looks at their appeals and implementing those recommendations have also dropped appeals. So, before the changes, there were between 1,200 and 1,700 appeals each year. And now there are only about 45. So with those numbers, Bridges really emphasized that it's not that FEMA doesn't have as many people requesting as they did before, but instead it's the new procedures and establishing these estimated dates of completion that set expectations for requesters to help them understand the process so they don't need to file the appeals.
0: Federal News Network's Abigail Russ, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
3: Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Anunda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security has been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here.
3: Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you
4: no, know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most is being somebody that throughout our career has you know, been at the highest levels and all. But I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old. And uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser.
3: two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today?
4: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't gonna work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney, but you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was gonna be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social security administration or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office and lo and behold, I got a job at social security. I didn't even know it was federal to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership... I just find it incredibly fascinating, um you know from hi- historical to current uh, current times I just it's just something that's just really fascinated me, and so i just I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership and then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything if people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure. I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do.
3: Angie, thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you.
3: This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time.
1: When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week. So patients get the plasma derived medicines they rely on and you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com.
4: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.